In St. Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make the path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. But there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and all were baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel hair, with a girdle of a skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. The gospel is neither a debate nor is it a discussion. The gospel is an announcement. Amen. Mark wasted no time whatsoever in announcing that Jesus Christ, God's Son, indeed is the Savior of the world. And yet when we read the Bible, Mark wrote for the Romans, and the theme of, of Romans is Jesus Christ, the servant, the suffering servant, the Son of God. If there was a passage of Scripture that would be the theme of Mark, it would be Mark 10, 45. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The fact that Mark wrote with Romans uh, in mind, it helps us understand his style. It helps us to understand his approach of uh, the way that he wrote the gospel. The emphasis of Mark's gospel is upon the activity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark was busy tracing the steps of Jesus as he went from one place to another place uh, and ministering to the spiritual and to the physical needs of the people that he came in contact with. And one of the favorite words that Mark used was the word straightforward, which simply means immediately. He used the word immediately 41 times uh, in the gospel of Mark alone. And yet we see that Mark is a book of miracles miracles uh, that Jesus Christ performed uh, in the Word of God. Mark does not record any of the Lord's sermons, nor does he record any of his teachings, because Mark was more concerned about the activity of Jesus Christ than he was about the words of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He reveals Jesus as God's a servant, a sent to minister uh, to suffering people who would give his life uh, for the salvation of the entire world. Uh, Mark gives no account of the birth of Jesus Christ. He gives no account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ because Mark portrayed him as a servant. And no one was interested in the birth of a, of a servant. No one was interested in the genealogy of a servant either. Mark is the author of the book. He is the first witness of Jesus Christ. And he states boldly that Jesus Christ indeed is the son of the living God. I remind you that he lived in Jerusalem uh, with his mother Mary. And according to the book of Acts, their house was open in order for the people uh, to be there and have service uh, within their particular house. Now, since Mark uh, is called, uh, or since Peter called Mark my son, it would tend to believe that Mark was instrumental in bringing uh, Mark, or Peter was instrumental in bringing Mark along within the faith. Tradition tells us uh, that Mark was the interpreter of Peter. And therefore, you see a lot of Peter in his style of writing and his characteristics uh, within the book uh, itself of Mark. 
Now, with that being said, the second witness of Jesus Christ are the prophets themselves. In Malachi 3.1 and also in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, we see some things here that tell us the Old Testament prophets were also a witness of Jesus Christ. In Malachi, behold, I will send my messenger uh, and he uh, shall prepare the way before me. Isaiah said, uh, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Uh, here you find the word messenger and the word voice uh, refers to the prophet John the Baptist, the greatest prophet uh, that was ever known. He would prepare the way uh, for the coming of Jesus Christ. Anytime that a king uh, would enter into a province that he ruled, uh, someone would always go before that king to prepare the way for the king. Uh, the guy, they would go forth and they would repair the roads and they would go forth and they would prepare the people uh, for the message uh, that the king would give. By the same token, John the Baptist was the voice of God. He was the messenger of God, as the prophet said he would be, uh, to go to prepare the way for the coming king, which was Jesus Christ, the Lord Jehovah God. John the Baptist himself was the next witness of the coming king. And Jesus said that John was the greatest of all prophets. In his dress, in his manner of life, and the message of repentance that he had identified him with Elijah of the Old Testament. Elijah came out of the wilderness, and yet we know that John the Baptist came out of the wilderness, a rugged, barren place uh, that bordered uh, the western side of the Dead Sea shore. And yet John the Baptist came out with the message, repent, repent, repent. John was telling the people symbolically uh, to do what uh, they had done in the Old Testament, Elijah the Old Testament, that they were to repent of their sin. And just as the Old Testament saints uh, lived in a literal wilderness for 40 years and Joshua took them out to bring them in the promised land, it was John the Baptist that was saying, you all get out of your spiritual wilderness and come to know your Jehovah, your Joshua, which is Jesus Christ, and he will take you into your inheritance. You need to be freed from your sin. You need to be freed from your habit. And there's only one man that I know can do that. Uh, John said, I will bring the waterworks, but thank God he'll bring the fireworks and he'll get you out of your sin and bring you into your promised land. Now, John the Baptist was very quick to magnify Jesus Christ the Lord, but not himself. John would baptize repentant sinners in water, but the coming one would baptize in the Holy Ghost or baptize with the Holy Ghost and fire. Uh, this does not mean that John's baptism was unauthorized. This did not mean that the Holy Spirit baptism would take the place of water baptism. What it simply meant, uh, he's baptizing in water in order for people to prepare for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And once they accepted him as the Lord, he would send the promise of the Father upon them and they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you and I, and we can do the same works that Jesus did. He said, the works that you do, that I do, you shall do, and even greater works shall you do uh, because I go back to my Father in heaven. And the final witness, if you will, of the, uh, of the fact that Jesus Christ is God's Son and servant uh, was none other than God and the Holy Spirit himself. 
When Jesus Christ was baptized in the Jordan River by John, the Bible said the heaven opened up and the Holy Ghost came down in the form of a dove and the Spirit of God out of heaven spoke the word, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I remind you that Jesus Christ did not perform one miracle until he was affirmed by his heavenly Father. And yet the Holy Ghost went into him and remained in power and remained in authority equally as well. I remind you the word beloved. When God said, this is my beloved son, it did not just simply show affection toward Jesus. He was saying, he is my only one. He is the only savior. He can the only Lord. He's the only one that can change you. The only one that can save you. The only one that can free you. Jesus Christ is not one way among many. Thank God he is the only way to know the truth and have that life and have it more abundantly. He did not come to bring a religion. He came to destroy religion, but to bring a salvation where we can have a relationship with the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Praise God. I rejoice in that. Now, with that being said, there we have it. Four witnesses, four different sources identifying Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. Mark, the Old Testament prophets, God himself, and John the Baptist saying who Jesus Christ really is. Jesus Christ himself was a most unusual servant in that he was unusual in that men on earth recognized him, but God and the host of heaven recognized him. I don't know of anybody else that has that type of servanthood to where it's acknowledged on earth by man and acknowledged in heaven by the almighty God. With that background in mind this morning, I'd like to share with you a few moments, if I may, and bring your attention to John the Baptist. I want to talk about the man. I want to talk about his message. I want to talk about his ministry, his attitude, and his adaptability. Let's look at his ministry, how he began it, and how he ended it. We all have a beginning of ministry, and we all have an ending of ministry. I had a beginning of ministry 17 years and one month here, but today is my final day of ministry as your senior pastor. My time today with this message, I end my pastorate at New Life Assembly, and I want to look at some ministry of John the Baptist and note some things that he did, some questions he had, some concerns that he had. And I believe there's some lessons I hope will edify this body and will bless us on the way out the door. In no way am I comparing myself to John the Baptist, but there's some principles regarding his ministry and ending a ministry that I think that we can draw from that'll be a blessing to us and a hope to us as we prepare our exit from this building today. First of all, John the Baptist did the right thing. I've seen too many pastors resign in bitterness. I've seen too many pastors resign in shame. I've seen too many pastors resign and blame the congregants for their lack of success or for things that did not go well. When Dr. George Wood resigned, when he wasn't voted back in as the, the uh, superintendent of the general superintendent of the Sims of God several years ago, the man held his head high. And I learned some things with the way he exited. I'd like to emulate some of those in my own life today. I came to this church with my head high, and I'm walking out the door this morning with my head high as well. John did the right thing. John heard the voice of God calling him into a powerful ministry. And John did the things that God called him to do. He preached, he baptized, and he prepared the way for the Savior to come. I have no doubt in my mind that God called me to this church. 
I have no doubt in my mind that God has blessed me and given me all that I need to preach the gospel faithfully for the last 17 years. And I believe that God has helped us to prepare a way not only for the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's prepared a way that we might invite the exercise of the gifts of the Holy Spirit day in and day out when we gather in the house of God every time. It's a great reward in life that you can look back through the rearview mirror and say we did some things right. We did some things right along the way, and I feel so blessed to have had the opportunity to serve you, this constituency, for the past 17 years. Someone said the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. When I came to this church and accepted this position, I came in this door with some core values, and I've not changed. I walk out the door with those same core values, and that's these four core values, worship God. That is our response to the Almighty God. Give Him our best. Discipleship, that is our response to the Word of God. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. And evangelism, that is our response to a lost and a dying world. We do that. And then fellowship, our response one to the other. Those are my four core values that I have tried to drill in day in and day out. I've given my best to worship. And I've given my best when it comes to teaching and preaching of the Word of God. You'll find a lot of people that can preach the Word of God a whole lot better than I can, but you won't find anybody that can preach a better Word than I can. It's God's Word. It's God's Word. Along the way, we've tried to encourage you to find your gift and use it. God has called several people out of this church. I'll never forget Aaron Rios. He don't mind me sharing this. Aaron Rios used to come to the old church drunk on Sunday mornings. He played in bars on Saturday night. And he'd come in and he said, if you keep on preaching the way you do, I'm going to keep on coming back. God saved him, sanctified him, filled the Spirit. Today he's passing the church up north. Let me tell you, we've seen that over and over and over again. God calling people out of this congregation and sending them around the world even in missions and ministry even to this day. I'm grateful that we have had good fellowship among ourselves, not just Christian friendliness, but getting out of our ship and getting in the other fellowship, if you will, uh, to get to know each other. And friend, you cut me, I bleed missions. You cut me, I bleed evangelism. And if you don't know that by now, then you don't know me at all today. I'm grateful as I look back over the last 17 years, I feel some satisfaction that each year seemingly got better than the year before. Attendance has grown every year except for when we got into the COVID thing. Uh, Our mission support has gone up now to 110 missionaries, I believe, at $100 per unit. I thank God for that this morning, and I pray that the missions will continue to grow. That has been the lifeblood of this church today. Our attendance has grown each and every year. Yes, even this year, post COVID. I brought in more this year than the history of this church exceeded over a million dollars in income this year. And I rejoice and give God the glory for what you all have done for the kingdom of God. We've also moved from a cramped building, a landlocked with a $650,000 building down there and with 18 people and 24 rats, if memory serves me correctly. And today we live on a 30-acre piece of property with, with state-of-the-art buildings, not building, but buildings upon it. And the tax assessment right now is about $6.9 million. Let me tell you, to God be the glory for all that he's done this morning. A number of new ministries have been started. Classes have been formed. A school's been birthed. Staff has been added. Growth has occurred. Souls have been saved. Lives have been transformed. People have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Could we have done more? Yes. But we did do some things right. Yeah. 
We did do some things right. Several been called into ministry. COVID hit, yes. It knocked us back, but we worked ourselves silly during the time of the COVID. And I thank God for a dedicated staff that did that. I've been blessed and surrounded by a staff that's second to none. Let me tell you something. People have come and said, oh, pastor, you did this. Let me tell you this. When a turtle's sitting on a fence post, he didn't get there all by himself. And like John the Baptist, all the glory goes to him. I thank God for a good staff. We hired right. I never had a staff, just some staff infections at times. But I taught a class at Southeastern on multiple staff relations. I never had the class, never taught it. But I learned more during that class than the students. And I learned how to staff for growth, not for decline. Pastor Hilton was with me for about 16 years. And today, he's pastoring up in Carolina. Greg, you've been with us for about 14. Still here. Uh, Vance and Daphne about 12 years and now they're doing kids crusades Raphael and Marie now for a year and a half Hope our office secretary my little daughter second one done a phenomenal job all of our volunteers you guys and gals have stepped up to the plate in ways that have blown my mind not to take away from any other church I've ever been at but you work and you work, and you work, and you never complain. You pick up the phone, can you, and you're there for you hang up almost. I thank you for your loyalty to me, your loyalty to this church, but above all, your loyalty to Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. And I want to thank my wife for always being there, not just for 17 years, but for 41 of my 44 years of pastoring, behind every successful man, there's a surprise mother-in-law. <laughs> if I have any success at all, it's because of my wife and her faithfulness to me. It's been a joy to work hand in hand, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, and year out, with such a dedicated group of people. There are things I could say about the ministries that God's led us to do, the successes, the challenges, but let me say, God has been faithful. God has been good. I tell people all the time, just a few months ago, and give me a minute. I mean, this is my last day up here patronizing. When we put this building in back here and the county said we had to come up with another $137,500 to put a parking spots out there and put a new fire plug in, I only budgeted 50,000 overrun. Had no idea. Nobody saw this coming. You remember the story. We didn't have the money. Went in another 98,005, I believe it was. But you know what? Only God can provide a banquet in the, in the wilderness. And one of the reasons the nation of Israel went through the wilderness is they could learn to have faith. And like I read by my sister read me something yesterday, said, don't make me get out my mustard seed and use it. <laughs> I brought the need to you. And I simply said, this is a problem we didn't see coming. Our engineers didn't see it. Nobody saw it. 
We had this building for six years of school, and they said, now you have to have a parking out there. It's stupid. I, I said that out loud, didn't I? <laughs> I simply said, the miracle's in the house. The miracle's in the house. I didn't bum. I didn't beg. In two weeks, I believe it was, $10,000 more came in than what we needed. That's you. That's God. And one thing I hope you'll say about me when I'm gone, that I never begged for money. I, I did it again today. I forgot to take up the offering again today. I don't ever. I just don't. I don't beg. I don't beg. But you know why? It's God's money. And you love the Lord, you're going to give. And I've tried to teach you, give out of love. Do not give out of need. And that's what you've done over and over and over again. God's been faithful. The staff and the volunteers, thank you for your loyalty, for your faith, and for your faithfulness. In retrospect, I am grateful to God that I've completed my part in this work at New Life Assembly that God's called me to. Secondly, John the Baptist had the right attitude. Attitude is very important. When the crowds began to follow Jesus and they got bigger than those that were following John, John said, he must increase. I must decrease. Attitude is everything in life, especially when it comes to transition. When I came here as pastor in New Life, there was only a small attendance. We had 18 people and 24 rats, literally. For those that don't know, we're down on, Bailey, down on, uh, down on Banana Road in that A-frame sanctuary with mold and mildew. It stunk to the highest heavens. It would gag a maggot off a meat wagon. Many of you remember we took the Celotex out of the thing and got a gallon and a half of rat feces. It smelled of soiled baby diapers every time you walked in. And my attitude was this. We're in a candidate for a move of God. What? I said, when Jesus was born, he didn't go to the Carlton. He didn't go to the Hilton. He didn't go to the Motel Six and a Half or any of that. He was born in a stable, in a manger. And I said, we're a prime candidate for the Lord to show up. And when the Holy Spirit came down, he didn't go to the temple. He didn't go to the tabernacle. He went to an unfurnished upper room. And you know what? We did everything we could to get rid of the smells. But there's one thing. Mindy, are you here? Mindy Bell. Mindy came up one time and said, Pastor, let's pray that God will heal this building. And I went, Mindy. <laughs> God bless you. We had a Tuesday morning prayer meeting Charlie had. I felt it coming. I said, Brother Charlie, before we go, let's pray that God will heal this building. I said, not my idea. Mindy Bell had it. And I think it's a good idea now. So we prayed. We did everything to get rid of those smells. Nothing worked. And you hate putting those plug-ins. Nothing worse than a, a fish. It smells like a rose, you know. <laughs> it, just, it just stinks. So We prayed. I didn't feel anything spectacular, but I never forget God speaking to my heart. And I said, Brother Charlie, can I say something? This church has been hit hard morally, and this church at that point had been hit hard financially. Death and stench goes together. When Lazarus died, Jesus and we were raising the dead. Oh, he stinks by now. He's been in the grave so long. And when Lazarus came back to life, there was no smell of death. And I said, when God puts new life 
back in new life, the smell will go. And it did. There was one little hitch right at the door and you walked in. And to me, that just reminded us of what God did. You know, when God touched Jacob, before God touched Jacob, Jacob did this. But after God touched him, he went like this the rest of his life. It was a reminder. And I walk in and go, hmm. You walk by and it's gone. That's God. That's God. We had 18 people. 24 rats got rid of them. Two weeks later, a family of four moved to Tennessee. A couple weeks after that, a husband and wife called me and said, we've been going to this church for the last three years and we thought this was a Baptist church. We don't understand this Holy Spirit thing moving. So now we're down to 12. But the 12 of you that stayed, I mean, if you're here now, thank you for believing in me. Thank you for believing in God. And thank you for not running away. And thank you for rolling up your sleeves. And thank you for getting hold of God. And today we're recipients of the good things of the Lord. I've attempted to maintain a good attitude as this church grew, and I propose to maintain a good attitude as I walk out these doors. I've been joyful in what God has done, and I want to be joyful in what God continues to do with the next pastor that fills this pulpit as he shares his vision with you. I enjoyed my time as pastor, and by the grace of God, I'm going to learn to enjoy my time during transition. It's going to be hard not waking up at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning and come up here and study at 6 o'clock in the morning. It's going to be hard. But I set myself a little makeshift office at the house. It won't be the same, but God will be there. And I want to be known now. I'm retiring from 44 years of pastoral ministry, but I am not retiring from ministry. Amen. No rocking chair for this bad boy. No nursing home for me by the grace of God. I've got more books I want to write. I've got more sermons I want to preach. I've got more countries I want to go to. I've got more churches I want to help. And I believe God's going to continue to open up those doors. When I came here 17 years ago, I didn't walk around burdened, slumped, shouldered, face down to the ground, down to the mouth. What are we going to do to revive the church? And I'm not going to go out that door that way either. I come fulfilled. And I plan on leaving fulfilled the same way, knowing that what God does next for me will be better than the last thing that he did, and this has been good. And by the same token, what God does for you next will be better than the last thing that he did for you. Please know that. Rejoice, rejoice in the process. Now, there's some leaders that don't want their predecessors to be successful. There's some pastors that leave all bent out of shape and burdened and bad and down to mouth say, Yep, I pray to God that one goes down because they can't do nothing about me at the helm. That's not my attitude. I'm going to be the biggest cheerleader, your next pastor. I'm going to pray for his success. I'm going to pray that he'll take you further than I ever could. I'm going to pray he'll teach you nuggets of God's word that I've never seen. And I pray that he will lead you into the promises of God that will just blow off your socks, friends. And I believe if you'll get behind him, he can do that for you. Please give your new pastor your love, your support, and your prayer. And if you really want to make him feel good, be here when the services are open. 
Every time we absence ourselves from the house of God, we're voting to close the doors whether we realize it or not. That went over like a lead balloon, but I still believe it. I'm not going to be like that one pastor one time. He preached his last sermon, had the U-Haul truck out there, the door open, the motor running, had his briefcase here and said, I've been wanting to preach this message a long time. <laughs> not going to do that. I'll rejoice in your successes and not be envious. I'll be happy as you move forward and deepen the things of spirit. No jealousy here if he takes it further than I did. No jealousy here if you go to four services instead of three. Let God use him as you've allowed God to use me. I'll be proud of your accomplishments under your new leadership if we just give God all the glory. John the Baptist had legitimate concerns. This is part of John's ministry that fascinates me. Remember, John was in prison. He said, now when he had heard the prison, the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, art thou that he should come or do we look for another? John had baptized Jesus in the water. He saw the Holy Spirit come down. He heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. And John knew I'm bringing the waterworks. He's bringing the fireworks. He's bringing the Holy Spirit baptism. But now he's in prison going, did I hear right? Did I hear right? When John was in prison, he was facing his own execution. His concern was whether in retrospect he had done something wrong. After all, where was the baptism he spoke about? John said, where's the fire? Jesus, you didn't bring the fire. John did not see the gap between the gospel being preached and the judgment of God coming at the end of the world. He didn't see that gap. And because he's in prison going, did I hear right? Did I preach right? I said there's going to be fire, judgment. Where's it at? Did I do something wrong? I'm thinking all of our ministers, we need to stop sometime and say, did I get it right? Did I get it right? After all, we are trustees to what God's done. I do not own this church, never have, never will. God owns it. I'm the trustee for these last 17 years and a month over God's economy. But yet we ask, did I get it right? I know I've made some mistakes along the way. Let me tell you something. If you don't make mistakes, you're not doing anything. <laughs> are you with me? If I've offended any of you, please forgive me. It's a mistake with my head and not my heart. If I've wronged you in any way, please forgive me. Had I known, I would have done my best to have made that thing right. It was not my intention. If I failed you in any way, please forgive me. I've given my best years of my life here, and John gave the best years of his life to the ministry of now. But he's in prison. He begins to ask questions. Did I do it right? He showed concern over his own ministry. Would his words come to pass? Would his words come to pass or was he wrong? There's been things that I believe that God has let us do here that we've yet to see. Not least saying, was I wrong or did God really say it? I believe God really said it and God confirmed it. As I move off the scene, I will be concerned that you maintain doctrinal purity. I will be concerned that you allow the Holy Spirit to flow in the midst of the congregation. I'll remain concerned about the missions being the lifeblood of this church and not just a burden that we tack on because we have to month in and month out. I'll be concerned about the well-being and the continued growth of Sparrow Academy. Let me tell you something. Sparrow is one of the greatest evangelist outreaches we have right now going. Amen. When you're trying to reach dysfunctional children 
behavioral and disciplinary problem kids. There's no other church that I know in Florida that's doing this, and few in the United States, if any. And yet the truth of the matter is, when the kids did their Christmas program from Sparrow, many of whom themselves are not Christians, they presented the gospel of Jesus Christ, probably 100 to 150 unsaved parents sitting here listening to the gospel. To me, that was powerful. I'll be concerned that you remain a Pentecostal church. And not just a church, but a Pentecostal church. The, pro the Bible promises us many things, brothers and sisters, but it does not promise us tomorrow. So redeem the time and continue to be a Pentecostal church. I'll continue to be concerned about the unity of the brethren. For how good it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, for it's there the Lord commands the blessing. When I leave, and I will, the Holy Spirit will not leave. So stick here, stay here, pray, continue to do what you're doing, and watch God add to your numbers and be a part of the, be part of the solution and not part of a problem. I'll be concerned that you continue to support this church financially and prayerfully. And I will also be concerned that New Life Assembly's best days will be ahead and not behind. Continue to worship. Continue to stay in the word. Continue to fellowship. Continue to evangelize. Thank you for allowing me to serve you. Maybe at times my best that I gave was not the best for some of you. I gave you my best, but maybe my best wasn't enough. So I can say as did the Apostle Paul, I can only give you what I have and nothing more. Please remember me as a man that loved Jesus. Please remember me as a man that took his calling seriously. Please remember me as a man who loved you dearly. Please remember me as a man of God that tried to present integrity. Please remember me as a man that loved you with everything in me and keep on keeping on doing what God Almighty has called you to do. If you forget me, you've lost nothing. If you meet Jesus and forget him, you've lost it all. Remember to read the word to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. Being here with you, ministering God's word week after week has indeed been an honor. May God bless you. May God bless you, life assembly, his presence, his power, his love, his mercy, his grace. I love you. I miss you already. My thoughts towards you are good. My memories will be pleasant. Thank you and goodbye.